0: We have the ability to, with words or in in our medium, we can do it without words, right? Is to shape the way that somebody else is thinking. That's a superpower. You can reach into somebody's brain and make them feel a certain way, depending on what choices we make. Like hunters are kind of a crusty bunch, right? They're stoic, right? (laughs) And so if I can make those guys feel something... I really feel like I've succeeded. You know, if I get a reaction out of these guys, I go, all right, I must have done something right because, you know, this is yeah. this is a bunch of Spartans, right?
1: Welcome to The Practical Filmmaker, an educational podcast brought to you by the Filmmaker Institute and Sunscreen Film Festival, where industry professionals talk nuts and bolts and the steps they took to find their success today. On today's show, Blaze Doros talks producing in-house business to consumer content for an outdoor gear company. Find the full transcripts and more at ThePracticalFilmmaker.com. I'm your host, Tanya Musgrave, and today we have documentary filmmaker Blaze Doros. His work has been seen on Nat Geo, PBS, and for Kuyu, an outdoor equipment company where he now works as an in-house producer. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, So tell me a little bit about how you got here.
0: Well, it's sort of a strange meandering path. So I started out going to school actually for music theory and composition. I wanted to be a film composer actually. I went to a school out in the Midwest that was that had a really great music program. Got out of school and started kind of sniffing around and then I started realizing that there were like 12 to 13 people that actually can do film scoring full time. <laughs> you know i'm sure there are more out there but like that's what it seemed like to me yeah and so i just kind of went you know i, I got to pivot so i grew up in a production household my dad was a producer so he had dragged me al- along to sets since i was like 12 13 years old he taught me to edit on the old like vtr reel to reel like two shuttle things set the in point cut chunk set the out point cut chunk Then, you know, it lays in with the tape. I learned how to do that. And then he brought home, you know, Adobe Premiere version 3.0 or something. He goes, check this out. You can move things around on the computer, on the laptop. And it's like DV footage has to render every time you play back. You know, it was just it was terrible at the time. So I got firsthand the chance to. Play with a lot of that stuff at an age when you know most kids would never have been able to. So coming out of college, I went. You know, I think I may just fall back on that skill set. So I made some calls around, and I ended up making a connection through a family member who knew the head of a studio down in Monterey, California, that was called C Studios Foundation. And so I got a job there as a post production assistant. I had always worked in Premiere, and they were a Final Cut Six house at the time. But they said, nah, you know, premiere's pretty similar. You can learn it. So it took me about a week, but I got up to speed on on Final Cut version 6 and switched over to version 7 while we were there. And so I worked on a couple of hours of TV there. The first thing that I worked on was two hours for National Geographic, two episodes of a show called Strange Days on Planet Earth. And that was a show about basically unintended ecological consequences from human interventions in the environment. So things like when you kill off all the predators in an environment, so then the herbivores surge. And so you get things like the huge number of white-tailed deer that are now surging in the, in the American South and, and East. That's because we've killed off all the wolves and the cougars, Right which otherwise would keep them in check. So we did a whole series on that kind of stuff. We then, uh, we did a couple of other projects. One of them was a, um, an hour for PBS on Salmon. We did another hour on Nat Geo on viruses. The studio was, when I got there, they were kind of on the decline, right? They had done great work. And, you know, I got to work with world-class people there, but the projects were just slowing down. So on that viruses show... One of the line producers had stuck around. She'd moved down from San Francisco temporarily, fallen in love, and gotten a job at an outdoor company in town called Light and Motion, which made bike lights and scuba diving lights and scuba and like scuba camera housings. And so I wasn't real happy. This things were things at the studio were slowing down. So I called her. I was like, hey, you know, I had seen that there was a job post. They're looking for somebody to do sales service and then do some marketing collateral, like videos and, and photography. And I, and I was like, Hey, is there a place? And she's like, yes, there is. <laughs> and so I started working at this, this place that manufactured underwater video camera housings, oh. which was really cool. So I got some really neat experience in shooting underwater, understanding the physics of light underwater and what the, what it does to the angle of view, what it does to color. And this was in the days before you could just shoot raw, And just color correct it all. Like this was like the 5D Mark II had just come out. You know, (laughs) you know, it was like all super compressed. So yeah, I spent I spent a few years there, and then after a couple years there, we. So my my wife got pregnant with our first, and so we were starting to kind of think, well, it might be nice to get closer to home. So I was looking for opportunities that were a little closer to my family. So we're home for New Year's Eve. My dad goes, hey. I need a second camera for a shoot I'm going on tomorrow. Can I, like, you want to come? Yeah, sure. That'd that'd be great. Yeah. He's like, yeah, this is, this is this cool client. It's a, this hunting company. And he goes, they're the one client that's ever found me just from my website. You know, just called, just cold called me. Right. So we go to a photo studio they're doing a behind the scenes on like a product photo shoot. And I get to meet the founder and CEO of the company, a guy named Jason Harrison, who started Kuyu. And we get to talking and, you know, he's worked with my dad on and off for eight months and we got to talking and it turned out that like, he was kind of overwhelming dad. Like he had, he had more stuff to do than dad could give him time. And so dad was like, look, Jason, I got other clients. I can't like, I can't do 50 videos for you in the the next few months, right? So Jason turns to me, he goes, how happy are you? (laughs) (laughs) And and I was like, you know, we've been thinking about trying to get closer to home. He's like, great. Email me your resume. (laughs) And uh, and I've been at Kuyu ever since. Kuyu has been a wild ride. There's been a lot of stuff that I've gotten to do that I never thought that I would get to do in my life, hanging off the bottom of a fish and wildlife helicopter with a camera in my hands. What? You know, going to Alaska and living out of a tent for 10 days way north of the Arctic Circle, that kind of thing. And, you know, I never thought I'd be working at a hunting company, but here I am.
1: Okay, okay, All right. All right. Hold on. You can't you can't just drop some sort of thing like that of hanging out of a helicopter. I want to hear that story, please.
0: The, the best part about this is that it was for a project that has never really seen the light of day, ah. <laughs> although I do have it in my on my portfolio. But it's it, it never actually got publicly released, really. Yeah. We were working on, at the time, a tactical line of products and working with this tactical team that works here in Northern California called the Marijuana Enforcement Team. Okay. They're a fish and wildlife team. They basically go after illegal cartel marijuana grow operations in public land. So you'll have cartels that will uh, basically divert water supplies and use really incredibly toxic pesticides to to grow marijuana uh, on public land or sometimes even on private land. But never, never legally. Right. They just go in and they do it this team would go in and basically bust them up and so you know, a lot of the times these guys are heavily armed they've got sometimes dogs they've got i mean they there was a photo that of like a pile of ak47s one of the guys on the team had been shot with shot with a, an ak47 at one point point. and so they're basically a wilderness SWAT team right yeah. So I did a whole piece on the marijuana enforcement team and their training and what they do and all of that with the intent that we would use it along with this tactical line release. Uh, well, okay. it was like a week after I'd finished the piece and they're like, we're canning the tactical line. Like we can't, the, the fabrics aren't right. There's something, there's some issue with it. Yeah. And so I was like, oh. Uh,
1: <laughs> I mean, is there any way that you could still release it? Kind of just not promoting a tactical line but like just the the story aspect
0: if we're not doing a tactical line it doesn't tie in that well yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah. (laughs) but even just like on a on a story aspect i mean or was it just a kind of an aspect of, of we're gonna get like a really really awesome sizzle reel of people using this tactical <laughs> gear <laughs> by the way they're going after like illegal marijuana growers right?
0: at the time we didn't, hadn't even really built the line uh, but it was just going we're going to tell you this story mm-hmm. about these guys that we know and we think that they're really cool like that and and in those especially in those early days of kuyu we did a lot of that stuff where it was like So Jason had this, he just really had this incredible vision for what you could do with video and how you could build a brand with video. And so he Mm -hmm. thought, you know, the, the stories that you tell, tell people who you are. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if we tell the story about these cool guys that, you know, that are friends with us and yeah, they use our gear, but we're not even going to talk about that. Like, we're just going to show you what they do. Mm -hmm. Then that elevates Kuyu, the brand, just by the fact that we're, you know, we're associated with those guys. Mm -hmm. So you know, that was such a cool and different philosophy to anybody that, that I'd ever dealt with in, in really in almost any part of the outdoor industry. There's only a couple other companies that I can think of that have that mindset. Mm -hmm. And the other one of them is Red Bull. Right. And (laughs) so, you know, so when I saw that in Jason, I was like, okay, yeah, I can, I can co-work at a hunting company Mm -hmm. if this is going to be what, you know, if this is going to be what I can do.
1: It sounds like you have a lot of creative leeway for your projects.
0: Yeah, it's getting to be a little bit more buttoned up these days. Mm -hmm. Um, But especially in those early days, I mean, so Kuyu is a young company. It's only, we're having our 10th year anniversary this year, right? You know, I came on in year three. And so it just, it was still really early days. It, It was like 15, 18 people in the whole company when I came on board. So, there again, it speaks to Jason's vision that like that early in the company, he's like, I need somebody to do video. Absolutely. That doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, it's it's just not something that happens in almost any industry. When I did get, When I get to do pieces like that, I pretty much have carte blanche, you know, I'll pitch a thing and I'll go, you know, look, I think this is a story that we should tell, you know, they'll go, okay, is there, you know, is there an angle that it ties into product to a certain extent? Well, yeah, you know, it elevates us in this area. And, you know, if I can make the case for it, I pretty much have the ability to go out and do it the way that I want to.
1: Mm -hmm. What made it button up? Was it social media or like you know having consistent brand or,
0: or? Yeah, it's just a sort of a general change of like there's more of us now, mm-hmm. and frankly that my responsibilities as the producer have grown too. Where before I could spend eight weeks editing a 12 minute film, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, not doing that the entire time, but you yeah. know, spending that amount of time on the on a piece like that that was you know kind of my vision all of that. The, that's a little bit over. I now, you know, I now also manage the product photography creation, some of the, um, some of the lifestyle photography. I now I shoot a little bit of that myself. I'm certainly managing all the assets now. So my responsibility set has grown and you know, it's just a, it's just a little bit different direction. Yeah. The other, you know, the other side of it is that, a few years ago, Jason passed away tragically. It's not to say that other people don't have that vision, but he had such a unique drive. Yeah. Like he would really, really push for that that stuff. Yeah. And so now I just have to, you know, if I really have something that I want to do like that, I have to really advocate for it. Whereas before I could, you know, I could go to Jason, hey, I've got a cool idea. Here's what it is. And he'd be like, yeah, go get <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's not to say that that kind of thing isn't valued anymore. It's just that it's a, it's a matter of where to fit it into a more concrete organized marketing schedule. Mm -hmm. So,
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, is there a brand package that you kind of have to stay with? I mean, like your deliverables, you're just like, okay, yeah, we have, I don't know, do you guys have magazine spreads or or is it mainly just kind of like online and, and like, where, where are your, your outlets?
0: We're running ads in a lot of uh, sporting, like sporting type publications. You know things like Eastman's Hunting Journal and um, the the Western Hunter. So if traditional, uh, yeah, more of the traditional hunting. hunting. Yeah, we, we do that, and then you know strong digital ads, and then we have a really engaged social presence. One of the things about the way that Jason built our brand in the beginning is that he got customers involved, kind of in the development of the products. So we have a really tight tribe that just really loves the product and loves us. And so, you know, we put stuff out on social and people pay attention.
1: Yeah, Yeah. yeah. So are you, are you kind of one man banding it or do you have a team? Like how big is your team?
0: So it's, it's changed a little bit for a number of reasons over the, over the last couple of years. At the very beginning, I was one man banding it and then i had one and a half more people uh, i had a i had a full time uh, full time editor and then uh, one one summer i had an, AI, an intern who came on part time for a while too for a variety of reasons the the guy who was interning he left to pursue other opportunities and then the other person is now gone as well and so with the with the la- with kind of the covid thing everybody's belts have been tightening and so it was kind of like okay well i just have to kind of make do with with what I've got okay. there are some other people who can who can do some of this stuff who can shoot photos and who can shoot video mm-hmm. that's just been kind of a recent development but it's gotcha. it's just a little different now
1: yeah interesting do you I mean you guys do gear videos and stuff like that. I don't know what I do so much research whenever I buy anything I don't care if it's a backpack <laughs> or a jacket like I love it when they have videos because I will totally I mean, even just like seeing how something moves, seeing how something like, oh, yeah, there's a pocket there or what have you. I don't know. Maybe it's just yeah. because I'm super impatient to get my product. And I watch the videos like while I'm waiting to get the product that I already bought. I don't know. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, how is your like, how is your particular approach for for stuff like that? Um, like, do you do it for? Um, like specifically, all right, now this has to go on a website or do you kind of still have that, that wild West feel of just like, you know, I think this would like, if we can kind of get this in there,
0: I sort of had just have to pick up the most important things. Right. And so, you know, I'm not going to make a big involved video for a sock. So if we're going to do a video on a pack, for example, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down with the lead designer of the pack and I'm going to go, okay, what are the key things we need to hit? we'll decide on the format whether it's going to be kind of a an interview style or realistically sometimes a fake interview right with bullet points written out and looking off camera like this and <laughs> acting as though you're getting questions you yeah, know yeah. we'll shoot that and then I'll go in and however I need to get the B roll, whether that is a studio setup, something like that. Sometimes we have field testing video from the from the last season of of people that were out on hunts and we've we've sent a uh, we've sent a camera person out in the field with them. If I've got that, so much the better. And so just trying to find the best way to showcase how these products work in in the field, really. And that's that's really key for our audience because you know These are people, if the products don't work, you know, it's not like you get to just wave off and come back again next week. Like hunting season is when hunting season is in particular, hunters tend to be the type of people that just have to stay out there and get it done. You know, it's like a climber can go, eh, weather's bad. I'll come back next week. Hunters don't get to do that. And so we have to show that our gear can hold up to that. Mm -hmm. So anytime that we can show it in the field, we do
1: kind of going back to that arctic circle that sounds like a pretty involved project and i'm i'm just kind of wondering if there if there has been a pinch i guess since working on projects like that what are some of your your present pinches that that you have to deal with now or are there any compared to what you what you did before
0: yeah. I mean, I think my main pinch is just being able to just being able to allocate the time to each type of asset, you know, because it like, so like I said, I'm now, you know, I'm now running a lot of photography stuff and those are responsibilities, you know, so I can put it, we can get a product up on the website with just a photo, but we can't do it with just a video. Right. So a lot of the times I have to prioritize getting a product photo done versus having a product video done. And so, you know, I have some resources to be able to, to help me with that stuff. But by and large, you know, it, it becomes a little bit of a triage operation. And so, you know, someday, yeah, would I love to have, you know, five people in the, in the department and go, okay, okay, here's the parallel work streams, you guys are going to shoot this while you these two are editing that? Yeah, that'd be great. But you know, we're, we're not quite there yet. If we ever were, then I think you'd see the, the quantity certainly go up. And so that's the other side of what I do is that it's, you know, I've had to become a little bit of a jack of all trades. Is in addition to just the video production work, I'm shooting lifestyle photography. I'm shooting a certain amount of product photography in studio You'll hear my voice as the voiceover on a lot of the videos. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so, if you have trouble pronouncing the name of the brand, then. Uh, you
1: know. <laughs> this is true. This is yeah. true. I had, to, I had to confirm. I'm just like, Kuaiu?
0: <laughs> yeah, Hi, we have a lot of K U I U? Kui? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice, nice. So, I'm going to start asking you some of the gear and the gadgets, um, specifically for film, obviously. What are some of your your new revolutionary the way that it revolutionizes the way that you work? What are some of your favorite new gadgets?
0: There's a couple of things that have been really important. I have two different new things that I'll share in particular. And one is a thing that makes for flashy cool stuff and another is a thing that makes for like it's just a great administrative kind of tool. So the first thing is is a motion control time-lapse setup. And the, the one that I use is the, the SERP genie. So I don't know if you're familiar or have you ever seen these, these products around
1: Okay, the one that I remember seeing was like particularly on a uh, what is his name? It was it was on a slider, and you could put a timer on the end of it, and it would just like essentially pull the camera while it did a time lapse, that kind
0: of thing. right. Those kinds of products have come a super long way from you know putting an egg timer at the end of the slider, <laughs> right? <Yes. laughs> you know, yeah. um, and so you know, there's all kinds of, and to be honest with you, the SERP is kind of like the, it's a little bit of like the cowboy solution. It's not the most precise one on the market, but it does, it lets you set up in a million different ways, right? So they have like a, they have like a cable dolly that you can set up. You can string a cable 50 feet between two trees, hang a dolly from it, and it has a little winder on it. And so it, it uses a piece of nylon paracord as the as the the conveyor belt as the belt essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so it winds and and so over time, you can do these motion time lapses that are fifty feet long, you know, and actually, I did something similar for a product release. I built a dolly where we pushed in it was I think it was twenty five feet from the back all the way into this mannequin that was in the warehouse, and over the yeah. course of an hour, we would dress and undress the mannequin and all kinds of different I saw stuff. That- Oh, did you? Yeah. 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 So that's how we did it is that we, we built, it it was a motion controlled time-lapse.
1: I was curious. I was curious what you set that up on.
0: Yeah. So the, so the actual, the dolly was very punk rock. I mean, it was, it, it was a PVC pipe dolly. And then I had these, um, it's kind of like those old skateboard type dolly wheels yep. where where it's set in a V mm-hmm. configuration. Yep. And then I just, I cut a chunk of wood out and then put the tripod on top of it. Mm-hmm. And so the SERP has a detachable part where you, you have the the cable winder on one part. Okay. And then there's a pan tilt head as well. It's all controlled through. A either a tablet or a phone app where you can set keyframes and timings. It'll calculate the shutter interval for you. It's awesome. So I calculated how long I wanted the final thing to be. I wanted it to be a minute long, right? And then said, okay, this is how many frames we have to take. So then it calculates how far it has to move for each frame to get the desired type of motion it turned out great. I, I think it did anyway, you know, so what's
1: what's kind of the price range of the,
0: the SERP genie is, I want to say it's about 2,500 bucks for somebody like a, you know, solo freelancer, you know, that, that kind of hurts a little bit, but it's, it doesn't hurt as bad as motion control should. I've done stuff with it too, where um, there was a a piece that I did where we went to the testing facility that tests the quality of our down feathers, Mm -hmm. and there's this test where they do where they put the feathers in a bottle of water and then they shake it uh, to see if the feathers wet out. Then every few minutes they you know check and see if they've wetted out. Right, so you know some feathers wet out after ten minutes, and ours went for like two hours before they gave up. So I did a whole thing where where I did two different passes. I did one pass in real time, like the hour-long time lapse of the thing going and I had the lab tech in the background buzzing around all blurred and yeah. fast, you know, for that hour. Yeah. But yeah. then in the foreground, it was a more real time view of the of the little thing shaking the the feathers. And so mm-hmm. you see like there's a clock on the, you know, there's a clock and that one's going and the lab tech is buzzing around in the background, but in the foreground You know, it's kind of, it's kind of going in more real time. And then at the beginning and end, it fades in and fades out with the lab tech in real time, turning it on and off. So yeah, you shoot multiple passes and you can do cool composites where you, you know, you put different passes together in real time and, you know, and quick time and all that. So
1: Were there any bugs in it, like in the system that really kind of like, just like a a quirk (laughs) of it?
0: (laughs) Yeah. My, my least favorite feature of it is that if a software update gets pushed to your phone, like if there's an an app update, you cannot shoot unless you update the firmware of the, of the head unit. Uh, Like (laughs) uh, it's super annoying. So like if you, you know, you can check it the night before. Yeah and you know, have it all ready to go. And then you can get on set. And in, uh-huh. in the meantime, your yeah. phone has downloaded an update. <laughs> no. And so you're sitting there, you're like, well.
1: <laughs> I can't do anything.
0: I hope that this Bluetooth firmware update doesn't fail. <laughs> oh my stars. <laughs> That's my flash thing. That's my flashy thing. Yeah. The, the other really cool thing that I've discovered recently is a, um, is a piece of software actually. And it's called oh. auto edit. It's called oh. auto edit three actually. <laughs> This was created by, I want to say it was like a Vox.com guy who was doing documentary work. So what it is, is it's an AI transcription tool where you, so you load your raw footage in, it takes the audio and it'll send it either to, either to a web transcription service or to, you can get a, like a transcription engine that's by Mozilla. It's an open source thing. And it'll get you a a transcription that's like, 80% there. Like it's not, it's not a human transcription at all. But then once you have that transcription, you can take it, copy and paste the words into another document and export an EDL. Mm. And so then you have a rough cut that you've done purely on paper, just looking at the words. And it is so fast. Like, for so for interviews if you're if you're the kind of person like me that relies a lot on interviews mm-hmm. it is the best tool it's so cool wow. so and it's open source and free
1: wow 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 okay wait all right you're going to have to you're you're going to have to walk me through this one more time <laughs> <laughs> this is specifically for the editors out there then
0: that's right yeah
1: when you are talking about editing it on paper you're talking about like because like for me, I mean I've I've gotten stuff transcribed and I'll like highlight the stuff that I
0: like. So imagine doing that and then cutting out the highlight the highlight portions, yeah, pasting them onto another piece of paper, yeah, and then showing it to the computer, and the computer goes, Okay, and it makes a rough uh, cut for you. No. <laughs> yeah. Stop it's,
1: this. You're taking yeah. away my pen and paper. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. Like back in the, back in the days when I was at C studios, it was my job to, you know, make a copy of all the tapes because yeah. we were working on, on, um, it was, what was it? It was uh DVC pro HD tapes. Okay, we would yeah, make yeah. a copy of the tapes. We'd send it to the transcription house, you know, via FedEx. And then, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a week and a half later, oh, they would, you know, they'd send it back to you with like, you know, a little, flash drive that had all of it, and so but it now <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm not that old god <laughs> you know, it's, it's 2008 okay
1: <laughs> anytime you say that you cut going ka-chunk ka-chunk yeah go back to classic hollywood sorry
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's not movieola it was it was vtrs okay it, there was Digibeta. there was it was digital oh <laughs> beta tape yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. anyway, but so auto so auto edit is basically that same workflow, but mm-hmm. what it allows you to do is just copy and paste the text essentially between two different windows and then once you're done, you've built your paper edit of the interview. Okay. And it spits out an EDL. You load that into Premiere, and you've got a pretty darn close rough cut, you know, or at least radio edit of your uh, of your interviews. It's it's saved me so much time on interviews. It's yeah. a fantastic tool. And that I, incredible. There, and there are companies now that are springing up to do this that want to charge you money for it. And you know, this guy's like, no, I I made this tool while I was working at you know I think it was Vox, and he's like, yeah, I just open sourced it.
1: Wow, wow. So where do you? F- find this then?
0: Google auto edit three. It, and it's, it, you have to download it from GitHub. There, there's like, okay. it's a little more complicated than the off the shelf software. Like you, so you have to download that software and then you have to choose what transcription engine you're using. Okay. So they had, there's a Mozilla, there's one by Mozilla that's open source. That's kind of janky, okay. but you can download that and you can do it all locally. And then there's a couple of services where it actually sends it up to a cloud AI service. Okay to transcribe it and i picked one of those because the accuracy was a little better Mm -hmm. they let you do this this one lets you do like five hours a month free which is plenty which one is this one auto edit is free and then the um the mozilla the open source mozilla engine is free assembly ai is the name of the company that i picked to do it with and they um You can sign up for a free account with those guys, a developer account, and they let you transcribe five hours a month for free, which for me is plenty. You know, I'm not I'm not doing that many interviews. Okay, And so
1: about what what is their accuracy for? for
0: You know, it's 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 still like 85, 90 percent. It's still it's still an A.I. transcription. Okay. Yeah. There's still you're going to if you're going to use it for captions or something, you're going to have to do plenty of cleanup. But (laughs) That's, that's not what I use it for. I I use it for that radio edit and it saves me so much time. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Now that, that is, that is a really, really good one. What about your favorite old reliables?
0: I am a, I'm a little bit of a vintage lens nut. Mm. I can spend a lot of time going down the rabbit holes of like what lens, what vintage lens does what, but there was a couple of favorites of mine. There's this Russian lens called the Helios 44. It is not a 44 millimeter lens. It is a 58 millimeter lens. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. They're Russians. I don't understand their naming <laughs> convention. No, okay. um, but so this is a lens that is, it's a 58 millimeter lens. You've probably seen some of the photos out there that have the really swirly bokeh in the okay. background. This is a lens that lets you do that. And you can get them on eBay for 30 bucks. Oh, um, nice. The adapter will cost you an additional 8 to $10, okay. you know, okay. um, then my other, my other absolute favorite vintage lenses are, I have a set of Yashica MLs. Ooh. They are the best. They're so nice. Oh. So that's a whole set of primes. And, um, this is a set like the real kind of Lamborghini of the vintage lens world is the Contax Zeiss, right? You've, so if you've, yeah. if you're a vintage lens person, those are the gold standard. Yeah. So the Yashicas were made in the same factory. By the same company in Japan, there's no evidence that they share design elements, but Uh they're actually very high quality lenses. Uh They have this really nice, just saturated look. They're a little bit low. They're a little lower in the contrast, but the saturation is really beautiful. Uh Like the, the oranges and the blues really start to pop on those. And so I just, especially if I'm doing... And I'm cheating here because some uh, like landscape photography. Mm-hmm. I'll pull out the 24 millimeter Yashica lens mm-hmm. and it's just there's something magical about it. Like mm-hmm. it just makes everything look kind of pretty. Yes. And it's not, it's not super sharp. It's not the most sharp lens ever. It doesn't, it doesn't always have to be. There's just something about it. It looks really something nice. About it.
1: Yeah, it's like that je ne sais quoi. I, I like I, I haven't gotten like way down the rabbit hole of vintage lenses, but I do have a Yashica Mat EM and then I I got a Pen FT just just because I when you have to slow down a little bit. It's just kind of nice, you know, just for still photography. It's it's nice absolutely to slow down. Um, but the PenFT, it's a half frame camera, so you know you're not as nervous to roll off a bunch of shots because there's like 72 shots that will fit on a, a regular roll of film. But yeah, it, it's always interesting to see the color. I don't know why it never occurred to me. Like this was a while ago. It never had occurred to me the like the amount of color effects that you can get out of a lens until I really progressed in my photography and realized that I hated, hated one of my, one of my lenses. I think it was just like a 16 to 35 Canon. And I was just like, Oh, this is cruddy color.
0: yeah i mean it it really it makes a surprising amount of difference and you know now in the era of da vinci resolve right wow. there's so yeah. much that we can do right there is, but-, but there is something about you know getting it right and going ah, you know all I have to do is bring the highlights down just a little bit
1: how much how much were those the ones that
0: Oh, the Yashkas. Yeah. So it depends on, it depends on which lens you're looking at. Some of them are more common than others. I mean, some of them you can get for as little as like 50 bucks if you find the, if you find the right you know place. And like, sometimes you're at a thrift store and you're like, Oh, well, this is actually a great lens and they're selling it for $20, you know? Hey, so the super wide's, tend to be more expensive. Like I, I do not yet have, there's a, a 15 millimeter fisheye in that series that is going for like 600 bucks on eBay these days. The 24 is going for like maybe 200 bucks, depending on the 50 mil, the 51.4 is going for maybe a hundred bucks. And actually the most underrated of that whole lens set is the 135 millimeter F 2.8. That is a gorgeous portrait lens. It has a beautiful 3d pop, that same kind of colors. And people are selling that one for 60 or 70 bucks. It's a great focal length. It's a great lens. I really love that one.
1: What are you popping these on?
0: The nice thing about these lenses is that they are designed for a deeper flange depth, so you can put those on any Canon DSLR, any Sony, uh, any of the Sony mirrorless cameras. My personal camera, I have uh, I have an older Canon six D, okay. which is actually a pretty great old camera. Like it, it's really decent. The the ones that I'm using at the office are Sony Alpha series. So like Sony A seven for video stuff. I'm shooting a Sony FS seven original, not the Mark II. So, but you know, with the, with metabones adapters and that kind of thing, it all works fine. And these are fully, you know, these lenses that we've been talking about are fully manual, you know, it's, it's all manual aperture, manual focus. There is no motor in it. So
1: for your live focusing challenge today, (laughs) thank you so much for your, your gear recommendations. That, That was amazing. We do have a couple of listener questions. If you wanna ask your questions, our Instagram is at practical filmmaker. This one says, um, what's the best skill that has translated to your B2C work? So before you were kind of working for you know, um, a post house, when you have to create for consumers, what's the best skill that's translated?
0: The best thing that you can have is to understand story is to understand narrative and think about anything that you do from that framework. Mm-hmm. There are storytelling techniques that you can apply to almost anything, right? It can be a product video. It can be, you know, one of the micro docs that I produce, you know, the order that you reveal information matters and how you reveal that information all matters. And so if you think about things like three act structure you plug those into your filmmaking for a brand or any consumer oriented piece mm-hmm. i think you're going to end up with a better piece for it and so that's one of the things that i think actually was one of my strongest things that i've i've been able to really cultivate at you know at kuyu is that i've had the freedom to be able to tell just stories for stories sake mm-hmm. but then when when we have to do those you know those nuts and bolts kind of things where you know we just we've got to sell this backpack right yeah. we can go all right so let's think about you know what problem does this solve for this person and how can we present it in a way that's really compelling right so let's tell them the story of why they need this pack like okay so you know you're in the field and you put on your old wooden pack and the frame breaks that's a pain like that's awful now you know here's what you have to do to get your animal back to your truck, you know, now. So what we did is solve that problem, right? We made a frame out of carbon fiber that's super strong, right? So telling that story in a way that's compelling rather than just going, you know, having a, just pointing the camera at the guy and go, hi, this is our pack. It has carbon fiber in it, which is really cool.
1: No, this sounds a lot like story brand marketing. That was something that in my previous job we, we went through and they were talking about how Marketing is a story. And even I'm going to get a little philosophical on you, but I still remember one of my friends was like, you know, if something even in your life is is bothering you, for instance, they say, how are you going to tell this story in one sentence when you're on an elevator somewhere it's going to be reduced to a sentence, you know, Is they're just going to be like, well, this crappy thing happened and I got screwed over. Or are you going to paint yourself as the hero as and say, like, yeah, this crappy thing happened and we did something about it. It's something so simple in your mind, but story is really, really strong. It's, it's compelling for people who they, they don't even realize it. You know, it can it can really change a change a direction for
0: sure we have the ability to, with words or with, you know, sometimes in, in our medium, we can do it without words, right? Is to shape the way that somebody else is thinking. That's a superpower, right? Yeah. You, can, you can reach into somebody's brain and make them feel a certain way depending on what choices we make. Like hunters are kind of a crusty hunch, right? They're stoic, right? <laughs> and so if I can make those guys feel something, you know, I really feel like I've succeeded. I can, you know, if I get a reaction out of these guys, I go, all right, I must've done something right. Because, you know, this is, (laughs) this is a bunch of Spartans, right?
1: And if you can make them say, take my money, (laughs) banking off of that, our next question comes from... Michael, like how does your in-house work measure the success of a project?
0: That's a great question. And it depends on the type of project that we do. I would look differently at the success of like a, a product release piece, you know, kind of the, one of those, you know, like a sizzle reel, a promotional video, right. Is that there's a certain amount that we look at of, you know, okay, how many people clicked the link, right? But the way that the way that we run our marketing is that it's all multi channel. So, you know, we're going to send an email that links you to the video, which links you to the page. And also, we're going to put that video on social, which links you back to the page, you know, and so, We don't always necessarily think about the performance of an individual video as a sales tool, you know, purely by like, okay, what's the metric that hit it? Right. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if a product sells well and, you know, then we look we look at it kind of as the success of the campaign as a whole you know, then I look at a lot of the times, not even its performance on release, but I'll look at how it does over time, right? There have been pieces that we've put out that started out and they got, you know, a couple thousand views. And then I've come back six or eight months later, and there's 50 or 60 or 70,000 more people that have watched it. I count that as a success for a brand building piece too, because that means that, that means that people are out there connecting with it, engaging it, maybe sharing it between themselves. One of the things that Jason used to say a lot um, when he was still with us, right, is that a lot of these brand building type pieces, you don't do necessarily because it's going to get people to click the, you know, the buy button. You do it to tell them who you are. You do it to make them feel connected to the brand and feel something about the brand so that maybe later on, when you know you 've got a sales oriented thing up, and it 's like here 's the features and all of that, what they remember is how they feel you know they go these guys care a lot about what they do, and they care enough that they're for example, there's a guy who is a fifth generation down merchant uh, who does our feathers for our down jackets. Mm-hmm five generations, this guy's family has been in down and he figured out how to make them perform better than anybody else in the world. And so we did a piece on him because you have to, Mm -hmm. we, you know, you have to, because by showing what an amazing, you know, what an amazing thing this guy has done, you elevate yourself. And uh, we didn't nowhere in that entire video, does anybody say the word Mm Kuyu? Nobody says anything that had to do with buy this jacket. It's just Here's the guy that makes the stuff that we put in our stuff. And so later on, when somebody, after somebody watches that video, they look at that jacket and they go, I understand where that came from. And I know the story of the down that's inside that jacket. That is priceless, right? You can't put a price tag on that is that we have, you know, we have customers out there that will go to bat for us. They'll die on any hill for us, right? That is how you measure the success of your brand building effort, right? So
1: So how do people find you or follow your work?
0: If you follow the the Kuyu YouTube channel, you're definitely going to see some of the stuff that I've worked on. K-U-I-U, yeah. I think our YouTube channel URL is Kuyu Ultralight. And then I have kind of a collection of some of my favorite stuff up on Behance, uh, Behance.net slash Blaze Duros. Nice. If people want to get in touch with me, it's just my first name dot my last name at Gmail dot com. So <laughs> nice.
1: and last question that I ask everybody, what questions should I have asked you?
0: How do you make a hunter cry? <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> no, not really. Uh, have you? you do- <laughs> <laughs> I, yes, I have. <laughs> All right. So we, I did a, uh, I did a piece where uh, Jason and his dad went moose hunting. Uh, uh, it was a, a gift that Jason surprised his dad with, and so the whole piece was, it was not about the moose hunt. Uh, it, it was a piece that was about the relationship. Like they go moose hunting, but the whole thing's about their relationship. So I guess the question is, you know, how do you get people to connect with this stuff? And my answer to that is find the relationship and find the characters and showcase all of those things that you would do if you were making a narrative film. All of those things are just as important in any kind of marketing content or brand building content. If you don't have characters in your film and you don't take the time to let people get to know them, then they're not going to feel connected to it. The order in which you reveal information is important. If we don't know, for example, that you know, there's, there's something going on with this person's life, then later on in the film, when they accomplish something that's really important to them, you know, in, in the case of a lot of the stuff that we make is that they go hunting and they successfully harvest, harvest this animal, right. Overcoming some kind of adversity. Why do we care? We have to, we have to take that time to get to know them early on and have some empathy for that person and understand what drives them. Then even if you're not a hunter later on when you see what it what it has cost them and what it means to them to accomplish this goal even if you don't like hunting elk you can connect to that person on some level where you go we you know we're all human we know what it's like to fight through something to accomplish a goal That's the biggest piece of advice I have for anybody in this business. Find the characters, find the story, find those narratives. And that's the stuff that is going to elevate your content and make it something that people really connect with.
1: Amazing, thank you so much for your time. This is a really, really good opportunity for people, uh, particularly who are on the fence of not knowing the options that they have for full-time work, Versus going to Hollywood, I mean, like that was that that's the thing. Like everybody, if you think that you have to work in film, you actually don't have to go to Hollywood. There are lots of opportunities. Um so thank you so much for giving your insight. I,
0: I just want people to know you can do cool things and you can have a cool career, even if it's not in l a and if even <laughs> if it's not working on features. you can hang off the bottom of a helicopter like Tom Cruise, <laughs> even if you're not making a Mission Impossible movie. <laughs>
1: You heard it here. (laughs) There you go. If you enjoyed this interview, follow us right here and check out more episodes at thepracticalfilmmaker.com. If you have comments or know someone who would be a great guest on our show, send in your suggestions to tanya at thepracticalfilmmaker.com. Thanks for joining us. Be well and God bless. We'll see you next time on The Practical Filmmaker.